From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams. Our celebrity producer today is Charles Beery. Matt Gubensky handling our uh, screening your phone calls, rather, today. And is uh, Charles doubling up on social media? That would be Jeff Burson. Magnificent person is back. Jeff was a little under the weather, but he is back with us. And he is uh, handling the social media side of things, as no one can. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, the globe-trotting Father Wade Menezes. And where have you trotted to this week? I have trotted this week, Jack, to Macon, Georgia at the beautiful St. Joseph's Parish, built in the late 1890s and finished in the early 1900s. Go online and take a look at it. Beautiful, beautiful church. I'm here this week for a four-night parish mission from Monday, October 3rd through this Thursday the 6th, and it coincides with the seven-day Eucharistic Rosary Congress for the entire diocese, which the same parish is hosting, huh? And that's running from October 1st, St. Therese's Feast Day, through October 7th. The feast day of Our Lady the Rosary. Now, Jack, can you see behind me? I, I cracked the safe, huh? I cracked the <laughs> safe. But don't tell the pastor, okay? I don't think he would like that. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's not the safe they use. Okay? Have, you had, have you had peach cobbler since you've been there? No, I haven't, but that sure sounds good. Yeah, and what about, any- uh, are there any pine trees on the property? Uh, I don't think so. We're Man, right here in the, in the heart of Old you're Town not, You're not getting the, the Georgia experience at all. I got to get out and drive around a little bit on my free time, <laughs> what little I have. We're having a, a, a quasi-morning session, uh, an abbreviated talk in the morning with the morning mass and then the full conference in the evening. And I just want to thank all who have been coming out to both the mass in the morning and the evening holy hour. And we're going to culminate with the solemn closing mass on the night of the 6th. And uh, I'd like some of the parishioners, if they happen to be tuning in this hour, to call in or to write in on our Facebook live feed or our YouTube live feed at the EWTN YouTube page. But, you know, two great Eucharistic events taking place. My four-night parish mission, Jack, is titled The Most Holy Eucharist, Gift and Sacrament. And the four talks Monday through Thursday are the following in order. The Eucharist as foreshadowed in both the Old and New Testament The Church Fathers on Eucharistic Doctrine is tonight on Tuesday. Tomorrow, Wednesday, is Rekindling Eucharistic Amazement, 
the saints in the Eucharist. And Thursday, the homily for the closing Mass is titled, The Most Blessed of the Seven Sacraments, the Most Holy Eucharist. And again, it coincides this four-night parish mission with the diocesan-wide Eucharistic Rosary Congress. And so I want to talk, uh, as a springboard topic today, Jack, the the wonderful thing that our USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, have called for a three-year Eucharistic revival. And Bishop Stephen Parks of the Diocese of Savannah here, which St. Joseph's uh, Parish falls under, and Father John Johnson, uh, the pastor of the parish here, both men have gotten on it right away. You know, the three-year Eucharistic revival in the United States, again called for by the USCCB, runs from Corpus Christi 2002 through Corpus Christi 2025. And uh, it's just great that these two men have so quickly gotten on the task of promoting the Most Blessed Sacrament. And uh, the bishop's website, a specially created website for the three-year Eucharistic revival, says the following, quote, scandal, division, disease, and doubt. The church has withstood each of these throughout our very human history. But today we confront all of them all at once. And our response in this moment is pivotal. In the midst of these roaring waves, Jesus is present, reminding us that he is more powerful than the storm. He desires to heal, renew, and unify the church and the world. How will he do it? By uniting us once again around the source and summit of our Catholic faith, the Most Holy Eucharist. The three-year National Eucharistic Revival is the joyful, expectant, grassroots response of the entire Catholic Church in the United States to this divine invitation. We have a mission and a vision with this three-year revival. The mission is to renew the Church by enkindling a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, truly present in the Most Blessed Sacrament, the Most Holy Eucharist in His body, blood, soul, and divinity. And the vision is to inspire a movement of Catholics across the United States who are healed, converted, formed, and unified by an encounter with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, and who are then sent out on mission for the life of the world. The timeline is interesting. Phase one is from June 2022, Corpus Christi Sunday, just a few months ago, to June Corpus Christi 2023. This is the year of diocesan revival, launched on the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ, or Corpus Christi Sunday, on June 19th, 2022, again just a few months ago. The first year invites diocesan staff, bishops, and priests to what Pope Francis has described as, quote, a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ, particularly the transforming power and mercy of Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist. Each diocese will offer events that encourage the faithful to grow in their understanding and devotion to Christ in the Eucharist, truly present, complemented by online formation and resources that will raise up Eucharistic missionaries at all levels of the church, single, uh, widowed, married, and even consecrated religious. We Catholics must all join together, regardless of anyone's state and life or vocation. We must unite together in prayer for the renewal and healing of the United States as we answer this historic call to Eucharistic revival. Phase two, Jack, is from June 2023 through June 2024. This is the year of parish revival. The second phase will foster Eucharistic devotion at the parish level, strengthening our liturgical life through Eucharistic adoration, parish missions like the one I'm giving this week at St. Joseph's in Macon, Georgia, resources, sound and solid catechetical preaching, and resources and organic movements of the Holy Spirit, especially of the lay faithful. 
These local efforts will help convert hearts and minds to fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ, truly present in the most blessed sacrament, the Holy Eucharist. And in 2023, Corpus Christi Sunday will be celebrated on June 11th. July 2024, the following month, will host the National Eucharistic Congress from July 17th through the 21st in 2024. At this historic event, Jack, more than 80,000 Catholics of all ages will gather in Indianapolis to worship our risen Lord in his Eucharistic presence. The Holy Spirit will enkindle a missionary fire in the heart of our nation as we reconsecrate ourselves to the source and summit of our faith, to quote Lumen Gentium, uh, paragraph 11, and Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1327, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our Catholic faith. And in 2024, Corpus Christi Sunday will be on June 2nd. And phase three, the last phase then, will run from the National Eucharistic Congress in July 2024 through Pentecost Sunday of 2025. The entire American church will be sent on mission to share the gift of our Eucharistic Lord within their local communities and beyond with means and ways that have been brought into project during the first two years. In 2025, Pentecost Sunday will be celebrated June 8th, and Corpus Christi Sunday will be celebrated June 22nd, a couple weeks after that. And then, Jack, get this, the Jubilee year 2025, it's no secret that the Pope always calls a special holy year with some specific theme every 25 years in the world's calendar. Huh? So then the Jubilee year in 2025, the Vatican has announced that 2025 will be a Jubilee year with the motto, Pilgrims of Hope. This year of special grace providentially coincides with the Eucharistic Revival's National Year of Mission, its third and final year in the third year of phase. Pope Francis believes that the 2025 Jubilee year will contribute greatly to restoring a climate of hope and trust for all in the church. And I'd like to invite those pastors listening right now live, Jack, or after the fact, uh, when the podcast of this hour is posted at EWTN's uh, website, to think about having a parish mission especially uh, preached by the Fathers of Mercy or others. I know some of the East Coast Dominican brothers of mine, uh, they preach missions as well, and uh, so do some of the West Coast Dominicans, for example. Some uh, Passionist Fathers still preach parish missions. Think about a parish mission for your parish centered on the Eucharist. Again, the one I'm giving this week is titled The Most Holy Eucharist, Gift and Sacrament, here at St. Joseph's in Macon, Georgia. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, you can rely on the Catholic News Agency to cover the mission and activities of the Catholic Church, including social, political, moral, cultural issues from a perspective of faith. For the latest Catholic news, simply visit catholicnewsagency.com. It's an online service of EWTN News and 
You can get timely news updates directly to your email inbox. Just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Dirk, a first-time caller in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, watching us today on YouTube. Dirk, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Oh, thank you very much. Hi, Father Wade. I have two questions that I need your help. I need help to understand how to make a general confession. And I asked already a couple priests and a deacon for guidelines. I also try to get information on the internet. But the explanations I got were kind of general, and I'm still not knowing really what to do. And I just want you to know that in the past 15 years, I've been going to regular confession about once a month, and in some of those years, it was accompanied by Eucharistic adoration. That's one thing. The second thing, about 15 years ago, there was a priest who forgot to give me absolution, and I only recalled this after recently talking to a friend who shared a similar situation with the same priest. And I recall confessing the sin and doing the act of contrition, do I have to confess the sin again or uh, to get absolution? I mean, what should I do? So, Well, Dirk, thank you so much for your call today from Canada and Manitoba. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's very simple, and, and there's no need to overthink it. There's no need for scruples or scrupulosity. I'm not saying you are doing those things, but I, I want to say that as a, as a priest just to protect the soul from possibly going in those areas of scruples and scrupulosity and overthinking the situation. First of all, uh, if you recall in the confessional, just before you literally depart the confessional itself, after you've made your confession, after you've been told your penance by the priest and you've made your act of contrition, it dawns on you while you're still there, hey, he didn't absolve me. Just simply say, Father, uh, pardon me, but I, I don't believe you, you actually gave me the words of absolution, Father. Because it could be that he just sincerely forgot, huh? Uh, I'm sure he didn't do it intentionally. But it sounds like in your case, at least the way you worded your question, you realize this after the fact, after you have had left the confessional. If that's the case, just try to get to confession as soon as is reasonably possible to that same priest. It doesn't have to be the same priest, but if you can go to that same priest, say, Father, I went to confession this past Wednesday evening with you when you had your Eucharistic Holy Hour, and it's dawned on me, I, I really sincerely believe that you accidentally forgot to give me absolution. And then just go to confession again. That's what he would ask you to do, is simply to confess again. And then he'd give you absolution that, that second time around. Um, but yes, to answer your question, you would have to confess those sins, provided that absolute necessity would require the mortal sins be confessed. Remember, absolutely speaking, technically speaking, absolutely speaking, confession is for mortal sins. You're welcome to take venial sins to confession, but uh, you're not required to. So uh, there's other ways that venial sins are forgiven. I've said this many times on Open Line before. You know, the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass, a good act of contrition, um, a perfect or imperfect, a contrition or attrition. I've talked about the difference there before in the past as well. Um, there's the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, the 14 works of mercy, the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy, seven and seven, 14 total works of mercy. Uh, any combination of those, when you do them with the particular will of 
intention of doing them to have your venial sins forgiven. Not for the works themselves, they're not magical in that regard, but rather for the charity they help foster, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, the New Testament tells us. So it's not because of the works that we're able to do this themselves, it's because of the, the charity they foster to our fellow human persons out of love of God and love of neighbor, which the Ten Commandments are geared towards. The first three commandments to love of God, the remaining seven commandments to love of neighbor. So there's many ways that venial sins are forgiven, but mortal sins ordinarily need, need the sacrament penance. So let me back up a little bit, Dirk. If, if you remember that the priest forgot to uh, absolve you, your first question would be, okay, he forgot to absolve me in that confession, but were there any mortal sins in that confession? If there were, then yes, you want to do what I just said earlier, a few moments ago. You want to go back to confession to the same priest or not to the same priest. It doesn't have to be the same priest. But if you think after the fact, oh, he forgot to absolve me. Oh, but wait a minute. It was just venial sins. I don't mean just venial sins, but it was only venial sins. Then just make an act of contrition and you don't have to go back to confession because venial sins don't absolutely need confession as a sacrament anyway. Okay. So there's that. So now, uh, uh, the, the practice of a general confession. In chapter three of my 2020 book, right when the pandemic was hitting and going full force with its restrictions, um, overcoming the evil within, the reality of sin and the transforming power of God's grace and mercy, in that book with that title, um, I talk in chapter three about the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. And in that book, I, that chapter, chapter three, of overcoming the evil within, I touch upon a little bit about the general confession and the main points of it. First of all, a general confession should only be made when there's about to become a major change in the person's life. For example, a change of vocation or state in life. For example, the young man is about to get married. It would be a great time for him to make a general confession, or he just got engaged, or he's about to ask her for her engagement her hand in marriage. It's a great time to go to confession. How about uh, the young woman going off to the military? That's a great time to make a confession. Um, how about uh, you're just about to go off to college as a young person, a new phase, a new state in your life, so to speak. Uh, that's a great time to go to confession. How about the young man who's about to be ordained a deacon or maybe about to be ordained a priest? Another great time to make a general confession. But a general confession should not be made annually or biannually. It's only when these big events happen, okay? Like, like, you know, every three to four years or something, if something is happening in your life. Otherwise, if you make too frequent of a general confession, it can lead, not with everybody, but it can lead to scruples and scrupulosity, okay? So what do you do in a general confession? First of all, the first thing you do in a general confession is you tell the confessor, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession, Father, was two months ago, and these are my sins of these last two months that I'm aware of, both mortal and venial. Or, or thank God, Father, these last two months, I, I'm, I'm not aware of any mortal sins, so I'm just going to confess any venial sins of this last two months. Then when I'm done with those, Father, I have just a few areas that I want to renew my sorrow for, for ongoing healing. Not for confession per se, because they've already been confessed and have already been absolved. The, the elements of the general confession that you're about to say. So you're really mentioning them, quote, end quote. You're not really confessing them, quote, end quote, because they're not there to confess. They've already been resolved. So again, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession was two months ago. Father, by the grace of God, I'm not aware of any mortal sins, but there's a few venial sins of these last eight weeks, these last two months that I want to confess, and I confess those now. And when I'm done, Father, I'll let you know, because then there's just a few areas, maybe six or seven areas, that I wish to make... Uh 
an ongoing healing, areas of my life, sins of my life that are already confessed, and I realize they're not there thus, but for ongoing healing and ongoing renewal of sorrow for healing, I want to confess them. So when you're done confessing the two-month mark of the venial sins, then just go ahead and mention those those uh, seven or eight areas or whatever, however many there are, that you want to renew your sorrow for. For any time, Father, that I, uh, in my singlehood life, I may have taken part in the sin of fornication. For all the times, Father, that I might have done recreational drugs. Father, for all the times that I stole from my place of business. And again, Father, these areas are already confessed. Uh, I'm just simply mentioning them for ongoing sorrow and healing of my past. And that's it. Remember, whether a regular monthly confession or even a general confession, confession is never, ever, ever about great or graphic detail. Huh? Never. Thank goodness confession is never about great or graphic detail. It's about kind and approximate number if it's a mortal sin. And what does kind mean? Kind means simply name it and name it simply. Okay? Kind and approximate number is all that's needed. And then for venial sin, you don't even need to give the approximate number. You can just give the kind. Because again, venial sins absolutely don't need confession to be forgiven. There's other ways that they're forgiven, like the penitential right at the beginning of Mass. I've said it many times on Open Line Tuesday, what's the whole purpose of a penitential right at the beginning of Mass? Well, there's several reasons, but one of the main reasons why we do a penitential right at the beginning of Mass is we want to have our venial sins forgiven so that when we come up to Holy Communion in a half hour, we won't even be consciously aware of any venial sins on our soul. And that's a beautiful thing. So thank you, Dirk. I hope that helps you out. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Grab one of these open phone lines and give us a call. So, Father Wade, what are they doing at St. Joseph's in Macon, Georgia, for the uh, Eucharistic Revival? A great question. Well, we're having the four-night mission, as I noted earlier, and then a seven-day Eucharistic Rosary Congress, which began on the first Saturday, October 1st, also the Universal Feast Day of St. Therese. Little flower, show us your power, right? So she's a great one to kick it all off with. And we're going to end it on uh, October 7th, the feast day universally as well of Our Lady the Rosary. So at the 4.30 Vigil Mass, uh, Jack, uh, I preached, as I do at all the weekend Masses before a parish mission begins. I really talked up during the homily at the Vigil Mass on on 4.30, the four-night parish mission, and the seven-day Eucharistic Rosary Congress, which was kicking off with that Mass as well, with the homily, you could say. And then right after that Mass, we exposed the Blessed Sacrament on the altar, uh, with all the bells and whistles and the Osalutaris Hostia and, 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 and the incense and the beautiful choir and everything. And our Lord stayed exposed from that point forward 24-7 all the way through Friday, October 7th, with the exception of the daily Mass times. So when we exposed after the 4.30 Mass was over at about 5.45, okay, I preached a little bit long because it was a mission Mission talk homily, okay. So Mass was about an hour and 15 minutes. But anyway, uh, when, when that Mass was over, we exposed the Blessed Sacrament. Our Lord stayed exposed in the monstrance in His Eucharistic kingship and lordship all the way through the following morning for the 8.30 a.m. Mass where we reposed Him, had the Mass where I preached again to talk up both events, the parish mission and the Eucharistic Rosary Congress. We exposed Him again after the 8.30 Mass up to the 11 o'clock Mass, which Bishop Stephen Park celebrated and preached at, the, the 11 o'clock Mass, very, very well attended, beautifully attended. After the 11 o'clock Mass, we re-exposed again, 
and our Lord was exposed all the way through the 5 o'clock Sunday Mass, which is the final one on the parish's schedules, the Sunday evening Mass at 5. Then when that Mass was over, or just before it began, I should say, we reposed our Lord again, celebrated the 5 o'clock Mass, we exposed our Lord again in the monstrance, and he's been exposed ever since uh, at every hour with the exception of the 8 o'clock morning Mass yesterday on Monday and this morning on Tuesday and the remaining 8 o'clock a.m. Masses on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Otherwise, he'll remain exposed in between the Masses. And we'll end it all, Jack, with the Eucharistic Holy Hour for Vocations on this Friday, the Feast Day of Our Lady of the Rosary from 7 to 8 p.m. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Give us a call on Open Line Tuesday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next stop for us is the great state of Ohio, Sue is in Cincinnati listening on Sacred Heart Radio, a first-time caller. Sue, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you. My question, well, let me tell you, I've been a Catholic um, all my life, and I'm in my 60s. Um, About maybe 10 years ago, I stopped going to church, and I am back looking for the right church to go to. I'm not happy with the Catholic Church, but I have a question since I've been visiting other churches, other denominations. Catholics seem to be the only ones that believe in venial and mortal sin. Where did that come from? Well, it's found primarily in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, where we read that all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not deadly. Okay, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not deadly, from the first letter of John. We know that no one begotten by God sins, but only one begotten by God he protects, and the evil one cannot touch him. In other words, the importance of wanting to remain in a state of grace. But there is sin that is deadly and sin that is not deadly. Huh? Um, Also, Jesus is very clear in the Gospels about the reality of sin. Again, my book, Overcoming the Evil Within, The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy. And if you look uh, to the the universal catechism, the scripture passages where where the church talks about her teaching regarding mortal sin and and venial sin, Sue, uh, is the following. Number 1855, we read this. uh, Mortal sin destroys supernatural charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns the human person away from God, who is his ultimate end, and his beatitude by preferring an inferior, inferior good to him. Venial sin will allow the supernatural charity to still exist or subsist, even though it offends and wounds it. So a mortal sin, which is grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of the will, severs that supernatural charity with God and neighbor. Venial sin doesn't sever it, but it wounds it. Huh? So for three things, three things need to be present for a mortal sin to be present. Grave matter, fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, and done with deliberate consent of your will anyway. Okay, so the catechism continues. For a sin to be mortal, three conditions must together be met. 
Mortal sin is sin whose object is grave matter. It contravenes God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and seriously so, and which is also committed with full knowledge that it does just that, and yet still done with deliberate consent anyway. So grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will. If all three are present, you have a mortal sin. If one or two of those three elements is missing, you have a venial sin. This is the constant teaching tradition of the church since even the writings of St. Augustine in the earliest part of, latter part, excuse me, of the 4th century, earliest part of the 5th century, and even in St. Cyril of Jerusalem's Jerusalem Catechesis, uh, parts of which we still use even in our Catholic ritual today, especially at the Easter Vigil to welcome the catechumens into the fullness of the church through the three sacraments of initiation, of Eucharist, confirmation, and uh, baptism. Uh, we, we still use large sections of St. Cyril of Jerusalem's Jerusalem Catechesis from around 280 AD, uh, the end of the third century. Um, he talks about the reality between mortal sin and venial sin by name in preparing the catechumens for their first confession. If, if they've already been baptized, if they haven't been baptized, then uh, they don't need to go to confession first because the baptism not only wipes away the original sin, it wipes away any actual sin or personal sin, that is to say any mortal or venial sin that the person committed after baptism. Uh, Also, mortal sin by attacking the vital principle within us, that is charity, again, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love or charity, necessitates a new initiative of God's mercy and a conversion of heart, which is normally accomplished within the setting of the sacrament of reconciliation, holy confession. So, uh, with mortal sin then, the sacrament of confession remains the ordinary way, Sue, for it to be forgiven. Now, there are extraordinary ways that mortal sin can be forgiven, this sin that is deadly as opposed to the sin that is not deadly that 1 John 5 talks about. An extraordinary way, Sue, that that mortal sin is forgiven is through the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Uh, In what case? Well, I'll give you a case. You've just been in a terrible car accident, Sue, and you've been rushed to the hospital, and you are immediately in ICU, okay, the intensive care unit. And in that ICU, you have all kinds of apparatus on you, on your face, your lungs, your chest. You're not able to make a confession. But yet your sister and her husband, who are strong practicing Catholics, call the priest on your behalf, Sue. And the priest comes to the ICU unit. He's let in. And he's able to give you the anointing of the sick, The prayers of commendation for the dying, which includes the litany of the saints being prayed over you, Sue, and he also gives you the apostolic pardon. In such a case, when the person is not able to make an auricular or audible or verbal confession, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick doubles as confession. That is an extraordinary way that mortal sins are forgiven. But the ordinary way that sins are forgiven is a sacrament of penance. Remember, Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, which we know by her four marks, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, she has magisterial jurisdiction over the rituals of the sacraments. Jesus Christ is the author of the sacraments, okay, but he left all to his bride when he ascended into heaven 40 40 days, excuse me, after his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. It's like the bridegroom leaving everything to his bride to dispense from the treasury of graces as she sees fit in her husband's honor, her bridegroom's honor. Well, that's what our Lord did with the church. First of all, he founded the church, and we know her by her four marks. 
And we also know that the church has been established by way of sacred scripture revealing her, like, for example, Matthew 16, 18, when he grants the authority to Peter as the head of the College of the Apostles. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against her. So sacred scripture, sacred tradition, for example, the orally handed on tradition, okay, which in part is where we get the scriptures themselves, okay, but also the writings of the church fathers, for example. And then thirdly, um, the magisterium of the church, which is the teaching office of the church from the Latin word magister, which means teacher. That's what we mean by magisterium, the teaching office, capital O, the teaching office of the church, which is rooted and grounded in the reality, the very reality of the apostolic college. So, Sue, you had mentioned that you're church shopping and that you're, I don't know if you use the word upset or you're not happy, I think is what you said. I'm not happy with the Catholic Church. I would ask you to question why that's the case and realize, for example, if it's it's because of scandal, whether lay scandal or pre-scandal, study the history of the church. Uh, The church has always had scandal, and Protestant faiths and even non-Christian faiths also have scandal. But we have the authority from our Lord himself that the gates of hell will never prevail against her, okay? And we know divinely revealed truth through sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. And all that this three-legged stool of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium presents to us as worthy of belief to put ourselves on the road to salvation through a life of grace and love of God and love of neighbor is safeguarded by what's called the sacred deposit of faith, okay? So I would, I would urge you to look at the catechism, the universal catechism, which gives us the scripture passages as well, promising this safeguarding of our Lord's church, okay? So uh, mortal sin and venial sin, you know, there's a difference between a seven-year-old who's just entered the age of reason, Holy Mother Church holds at the age of reason when we can begin to make moral choices is around age seven, Um, There's a difference between a seven-year-old taking a a pack of gum from the checkout area of the convenience store when when daddy's not looking because daddy's paying for his gas at the counter, and the seven-year-old takes a pack of gum. There's a difference between that and the unmarried college students, a young man and young woman, purposefully, knowingly fornicating. and even taking contraception to prevent pregnancy. Sin heaped on top of sin, huh? The reality of sin. This is what number 1865 of the Catechism means when it says, sin creates a proclivity to further sin. It engenders vice by repetition of the same acts. Number 1865 of the Catechism is a very, very powerful paragraph that tells us about the reality of sin, and I include it in my book uh, uh, titled Overcoming the Evil Within, uh, The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy. So, you know, what I would do if I were you, Sue, is I would make a a good, holy, reverent confession, and I invite you to go to fathersofmercy.com and print out our uh, uh, examination of conscience and Catholic doctrine brochure. If you go to fathersofmercy.com, and click on the little magnifying glass uh, icon in the upper right-hand corner, a search bar comes up in the middle of the screen. In that search bar, Sue, simply type the words examination of conscience, examination of conscience, and you'll see it there. It'll come up on its own page as a PDF document ready to print out on your own home printer there in your home. And just take, you know, take 10 or 15 minutes to look at the examination of conscience, which is a series of questions which comb through the Ten Commandments, and uh, make a good, holy, reverent confession, and tell the confessor 
why you're not happy with the church. Let him counsel you. Let him guide you. He speaks for Christ. And let him impart to you, Sue, those beautiful, beautiful words of absolution. And the other thing is, too, Sue, you go to another faith, you're not going to have the Eucharist. You're not going to have the real, true body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ truly, really, and substantially present in the Eucharist. Show me a Catholic who leaves the Catholic faith wittingly or unwittingly, they either do it through happenstance where their mind isn't really involved with it, or they purposely leave the Catholic faith like you're thinking about doing, Sue. Chances are, chances are they don't know about the Eucharistic doctrine because I don't understand as a priest or when I was a layman before I was ordained, I don't understand how you can truly, sincerely know the doctrine of the Eucharist and yet still depart from it. It's just unfathomable. So most people, wittingly or unwittingly, when they leave the faith, chances are they don't have a real relationship with our Eucharistic Lord and King. Otherwise, they would never leave. And the church, again, has always had scandal. You know, the the Magnificat entry on uh, St. Francis of Assisi today has a little entry about his life. And and what what caused, and this is in the 1100s, the late 1100s, almost going into the 1200s, he was greatly distraught by the scandals in the church amongst her clergy. It says it right there in the Magnificat. Let me tell you something about some of the greatest enemies of the Catholic Church, Sue. Some of the greatest enemies of the Catholic Church come from within the church, Just like some of the greatest enemies of a family that try to destroy a family come from within that family, okay? So these are profound truths that we need to really pray about. And and I'm going to offer my vespers this evening, praying of the divine office for you and for your your intellect and your will to, to really discern this. Because I can tell that the very fact that you're listening to EWTN radio, the fact that you're calling in to Open Line Tuesday is just a beautiful thing, and it tells me that you're really, really sincerely soul-searching, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I also invite you to go to uh, those numbers of the the Catechism, number 1855 through 1857, which uh, discuss the difference between mortal and venial sin, and look at all the scripture passages there as footnotes in the bottom of the pages that are fleshed out in the document. They're fleshed out, they're explained in the actual body of the Catechism. Sue, thank you so much for your call today. We really appreciate it from Cincinnati, Ohio. A couple of our EWTN radio family members are celebrating anniversaries this week. Our Lady of Perpetual Help Radio in Essex Junction, Vermont. Five years on the air with EWTN radio. And KOOJ Radio 93.1 FM in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Go Gorillas! celebrates eight years of EWTN programming. Congratulations to both of those groups. The next stop for us is the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Susanna's watching us on YouTube today. Susanna, you're on with Father Wade. Oh, hi, Father Wade. Hi, Susanna. Thank you for your call today. Yes, it's so good to talk to you. I've been watching you for years on television. Anyway, um, I have a a good question. Um, my husband, he, I have, he has one foot in the door of the Catholic Church, trying to get the other foot in. But he has this obstacle. You know, when he went to Mass with me a couple times, and uh, he loves the Mass, but he does not like it when the priest says, as you well know, may my sacrifice and your sacrifice be acceptable, you know, to God the Almighty Father. Now, I'm a Catholic all my life, so I don't have no problem with that, right? But he's like, why do they say sacrifice? Why don't they say, may my remembrance of our Lord's sacrifice 
and your remembrance of our Lord's sacrifice. This is exactly what he thinks. Great, great question on your husband's part. Shows me that like Sue, the previous caller, he's really searching. He's really asking some great questions, just like Sue was. So first of all, the priest uh, is is ordained to act in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. Another phrase is in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head. So for example, at, at the end of the confession, when the priest says the words of absolution, I absolve you, he is saying I, like if I say those words to a person, I don't mean I, Father Wade Menezes. I'm speaking the first person singular, I, I absolve you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm acting as an ordained minister of Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, uh, acting in his stead, acting in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head, okay? So that's why the priest is able to say, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice, because he's acting there as Christ, and he's offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass, which is the one and only sacrifice that took place on that one Good Friday that we call Good Friday, when our Lord actually died for us and ushered in the Paschal Mystery, meaning that four-event event, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, the Paschal Mystery. The priest is making present again the reality of that sacrifice, that one sacrifice from Calvary on that first Good Friday that we call Good. He's doing that in an unbloody manner using bread and wine, which are transubstantiated into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're offering the sacrifice to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, to, through, and in the three divine persons in that order. We're offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the one sacrifice of Calvary on that one and only Good Friday wherein it took place. We're making that one sacrifice present again, in an unbloody manner, using bread and wine, which was foreshadowed through the mysterious high priest Melchizedek in the Old Testament, okay? So being an ordained minister with the sacrament of holy orders, that's why I'm able to say, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice, okay, during those words of the offertory of the Mass. Now, why am I able to say, and yours? In other words, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice as a priest here at the altar and yours, laity, and your sacrifice, lady, you out there in the pews. That's what that means. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father, because the laity are offering their sacrifice through their sacrament of baptism. The laity don't have the sacrament of holy orders like I do that makes me a priest acting in persona Christi, but the laity have the sacrament of baptism. Now, the sacrament of baptism fosters what's called the common priesthood of all the baptized. Who can offer a sacrifice, quote-unquote, but a priest? Only a priest can offer a sacrifice. So I'm offering the primary sacrifice or the primary intention of that Mass. Let's say you're having a Mass said for your deceased parents, okay, Susanna? You're having a, 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 a Mass said for your deceased parents. So that's my primary intention for that Mass that you and your husband are attending, is for the blessed repose of the souls of your parents. When I say, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice, as the priest stand at the altar, that's the primary intention for Susanna's deceased parents, and yours, laity, all of you in the pew, it's the sacrifice, meaning the intention that each one of the laity brought to that Mass to offer in union with the priest's primary intention. Now, both priesthoods, the ministerial priesthood that I partake in and the baptismal priesthood, Susanna, that you take part in, are different in kind. 
One is a sacrament, the sacrament of holy orders that I have. One is not a sacrament, the common baptism of the common priesthood of all the baptized. Yet, your common baptismal priesthood, Susanna, is made possible through the sacrament of, pen, of the sacrament of baptism. That's why we call it the baptismal priesthood. And both priesthoods, although different in kind, again, one's a sacrament, one isn't, both priesthoods both take part in the threefold office of Jesus Christ. The acronym is PPK, priest, prophet, and king. They both take part in the threefold office of Christ by virtue of those two sacraments of baptism and holy orders. This is why the priest is able to say, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours, laity, that the intention you brought to this mass, laity, to offer in union with my primary intention that I'm having for this mass, which happens to be for the deceased souls of Susanna's parents, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. So your husband needs to learn more about the so-called and so taught by Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, the baptismal priesthood of all the faithful, and how it differs from the ministerial priesthood, the sacrament of holy orders, of the ordained, like myself, okay? Because he doesn't know that distinction. But he's right in that he's having an inkling. Your husband is very right, in fact, that he's having an inkling that the word sacrifice is only proper to priests, okay? And Jesus Christ was the high priest, the the chief mediator between God and man, indeed the Son of God, indeed the second person of the Trinity incarnate who came to earth for what tradition holds to be some 33 years and had a three-year public life according to sacred tradition, wherein we get the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all that he did during, during those said three years. Your husband has a strong inkling that, that the word sacrifice should only be applied to Christ as the high priest, but he forgets that our baptism conforms us to Christ as priest, prophet, and king. And doubly, my ministerial priesthood through the sacrament of holy orders conforms me even more to Christ, to act in persona Christi and to act in persona Christi capitis. So that's what your husband wants to become a student of and study more, is the two priesthoods in the Catholic faith, as taught by the Catholic faith, that are different in kind, but yet both partake in the threefold office of Christ as priest, prophet, and king. Okay, great question. I'm so glad you called in on behalf of your husband. And did you say your husband is indeed a a baptized Catholic, but he's just questioning these things as a Catholic? Or did you say that he's not a Catholic at all? No, he's a baptized Catholic, but he just, you know, you know, he got baptized about a year ago. He just can't deal with that, you know. You know, Susanna, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again, you know, there's been a lot of bad preaching since the 55-plus years of the closing of the Second Vatican Council. We have greatly, greatly lacked in good catechesis, even from Sunday homilies from priests. And mind you, that's not to blame the Second Vatican Council. The Second Vatican Council, Suzanne, is solid as a rock. You read those 16 documents that Vatican II put out? They are solid as a rock. Rather, I blame progressive forces within the Church who took the Vatican II ball and ran in the wrong direction with it, and we've suffered from it ever since. It's not to blame the council. I had a sacramental theology professor in seminary back in the late 90s. I was ordained during the great Jubilee year 2000. He used to say, gentlemen, to the, to the seminarians in class, he used to say, gentlemen, Vatican II is not the cause of all this confusion, but it is the occasion of the confusion. 
fact, I said this last night at the parish mission. Vatican II is not the cause of the confusion. It can't be. It's, it's truly an ecumenical council called by the power of the Holy Spirit through the person of the Holy Father, the Pope, the successor of Peter. Okay? Rather, it's the occasion because liberal progressive forces within the church took the Vatican II ball and ran in the wrong direction with it. And we're seeing some of this played out right now with the German church and the Belgian church, unfortunately. And it confuses the lay faithful. And one of the areas that we've had in this regard uh, has been bad catechesis. Not only bad catechesis from priests from the pulpit, but also bad catechesis from CCD teachers, especially high school teachers, in the CCD classroom. Uh, I don't mean to make that a blanket statement by no means, just like my, like my comment about bad preaching from the pulpit on Sundays, the ambo on Sundays, I don't mean to blanket every priest, but there's been a strong phenomenon here that we've suffered from 55 plus years, and it's time to turn this tide around, and this is why I'm so excited about the three-year Eucharistic revival. You know, look at Sue, our earlier caller, who I'm going to offer Vespers for tonight. Um, she's discerning actually leaving the church because she's not happy with the church. Well, I want to encourage her to live her... She also was a baptized Catholic, or, or is a baptized Catholic. I want to encourage her precisely to become a student of the faith, a faithful daughter like a Catherine of Siena, to become a faithful daughter of the church like an Edith Stein, to become a faithful daughter like, like uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. These are, these are Two of them are doctors of the, of the church, and Edith Stein is one of the co-patronesses of Europe, along with Catherine of Siena and St. Bridget of Sweden. So I want to encourage Sue to really look at the faith. And the same with your husband. You know, our baptism and our confirmation calls us to be good students of the faith. Once baptized, once confirmed, always a good student of the faith. So I hope that helps you out, Susanna. Thank you so much for your call today from Pennsylvania. We really appreciate it. Does that help you out a little bit? Oh, thank you so much. I, I learned things that I didn't even know from you today, Father. Great. Well, I love those words at the Mass. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours, laity, may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. This is why we come to Mass a few minutes early, right? To recollect ourselves and to think, literally think in our minds, okay, what do I want to offer this Mass for in union with the priest celebrant's primary intention through my own baptismal priesthood in union with his ministerial priesthood? Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. And as my ink pen Saint St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, says, Jack, here at St. Joseph's in Macon, pray, pray for, for us. us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch on EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Until we get together then, God bless.